Put the fucking mic on. How we doing, folks? It's your boy, DB Barstool Sports Starting Nine, and you are listening to the End of the Bench. Scoot your ass down. Welcome to episode 99 of End of the Bench. Damn, I can't believe we're this far. 99 episodes in, minus there's five other bonus episodes you guys listened to The Last Dance, but we're on episode 99. Big moves here. So on this episode, we're talking Alex Bregman leaving Clutch Sports. He's unhappy about a potential documentary about the Astros' sign-stealing scandals that LeBron's people at Clutch Sports are going to be putting together. Not happy with that. We got Dak Prescott rumors of a brand new deal that was offered to him at one point that he turned down. A lot of money. We're also talking about MLB, PA, and the MLB tensions are rising. We'll get that's gonna be our first topic. And then also we're talking about unfortunate news of Jerry Sloan, Hall of Fame head coach, passes away as of today. We'll talk about his career and what accomplishments he made. And also to round out the episode, we're gonna talk about the new documentary series that's gonna be that are gonna be coming out in the next two and a half months, next month and a half, about um Lance Armstrong, Bruce Lee, and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa home run battle in 1998. And also we're going to mention the teaser trailer that everyone watched on Twitter of Tom Brady's new documentary series coming out next year. So let's talk about, let's kick off the show with the MLB PA and MLB tensions are escalating very fast. The union says it's livid, quote unquote livid, with um, an email that was leaked by Major League Baseball to the media, and it feels like it was an attempt to pressure players to get this deal done. Um, I I agree with that. I think it was a un, unfair and kind of like just how, how does an email like that get leaked? So there was a response to this. MLBPA responded. I'm reading the quotes from Joel Sherman here. So this is one of two long tweets. So uh, first tweet by Joel Sherman. The MLBPA sent its response to Major League Baseball's health and safety proposal. The union said its response was wide-ranging and including, here's the second tweet, testing frequencies, uh, uh, testing frequently, which is important, protocols for positive tests, in-stadium medical personnel, protections for high-risk players and family, access to pre- and post-game therapies, and last one is sanitation and protocols, sanitation protocols, excuse me. And here's more tweets. In conversation with players and agencies, heard players were hoping, among many others, to get restrictions lifted on showing at stadiums, especially before going on the road, and bans items such as hypertherapy pools and help preparation slash recoveries. Uh, players also wanted tested test volume increased daily, um, so it would be daily, and uh, would be best to allow even greater comfort slash fewer restrictions within clubhouse ballparks question will be if mlb can get enough tests without any public information kind of going out i don't know it's it's a, it's a lot of information but the point is is that mlb and the players association the union are not getting along they originally had this discussion about how much money the owners are going to take from the players to kind of save their organizations they don't like that they're having a tough time putting these rules together to get Major League Baseball back. 
it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty incredible that they're having this much of a hard time to get these um, rules in order. Now, and now here, here's information about the revenue again. Remember how much important the revenue is? So Major League Baseball set records in revenues in 2017, 2018, and 2019. Now in 2020, MLB players are going to take a pay cut, then some more, and we're only going to get drafted in five rounds in rounds, um, and the rounds will be cut down to like 20 next year. And they're also trying to get rid of about 14 minor league baseball teams. The 2020 season in general is, is screwed because of the coronavirus. But now all these different deals that the Major League Baseball and the Players Association are trying to negotiate are not going well. There, there's rumors of potential lockout, which I don't, which um, if, if we had this discussion like two months ago, I would be like, uh, I don't know. But now I think it's kind of looking like it. They're not getting, they're not getting agreements done. These are important deals that need to be fixed. The only agreement I've seen is like this, like, I, I mean, I, I'm reading a lot of this stuff. I've read, I've read a lot of tweets from minor league players saying that, look, we haven't gotten paid since August. Like, where's our money? You know, and, and how are you going to, and first of all, how are you going to cut 42 different minor league teams? That's going to ruin your system. That there's the, the, the awesome thing about Major League Baseball is, is that you can rebuild within, right? The NFL, you can't, there's no minor league system for the NFL. The NBA has a G League, but there's only one team for that G League. And, you know, the NBA, the, the rosters are 12 or 13 deep, and that's small, which is, you know, it's, we've all understood that throughout the years. But I would have to say, that Major League Baseball has done it right for so many years having this minor league system because you could rebuild within. You can take young talent and you can have talent come out of nowhere if it was a late round draft pick or an undrafted free agent or what have you. But this is that, that's the cool thing about the minor league system. And if you're going to eliminate 40 to 42 different minor league baseball teams, that's hundreds of jobs gone. So they're just guys sitting at home waiting to get their call. Now imagine if those, you know, this was the year for some minor league guys that like, hey, look, I'm going to get my shot this year. There's a, there's, um, a position that's up for, you know, comp there's like a lot of competition going on for this position or this spot in the rotation or there's about two roster spots left. And I've heard that my name is being called potentially to get that roster spot. Now this year is like, it's pretty much a wash for minor league guys. But now there's rumors about eliminating minor league teams. It's really messed up what they're doing. I understand the reasoning they're trying to do is to save the money aspect and kind of bring some of that money back into their, into their, their, their systems, their teams. But I, I don't, I don't understand that's the right way to do it. And if you haven't paid some of your minor league players yet, it's pretty messed up. I understand that a lot of teams are actually furloughing. They're they're getting to furloughed uh, their full time employees. I know the Minnesota Twins and St. Louis Cardinals are two teams that haven't done that. They're pushing it back. I know there's many other teams, but this is those are two teams that I just saw recently that are doing that. They're pushing back um, to even have the opportunity or even think about furloughing anybody. So they're going to keep their full time employees, even interns, till at least June 30th. 
I know that's what the twins are doing. And being a former employee, a former intern two years ago, um, I think it's awesome. I think it's amazing that what the what the twins are doing. They're a the pole lads are a are a top notch owners in Major League Baseball and in Major League Sports as well. Have there has it has it been over the years of their ownership? Um, they're usually the ones not to spend a lot of money when the pole ads are worth billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, but in the big picture here, they're doing a great job of running the organization. And in the last two and a half years with building the organization within, using minor league players, it's fantastic. I mean, how many free agencies, how many free agents do they have on that roster that are that are impact players? Like they got Nelson Cruz a year and a year ago. They got Josh Donaldson this offseason. Um, they got Jake Odorizzi a couple of years ago throughout a trade in 2018. Look, there's they, they don't really have a lot of guys free agency-wise or trade-wise, right? A lot of their guys are farm system guys. It's fucking awesome. It's awesome. Their best players are farm system. Jose Barrios, boom. May I, I'll, let me list more guys. Um, Jorge Polanco, Max Kepler, Byron Buxton, Eddie Rosario. Luis Arias, Wilson Nasandio. So it's like they have a bunch of guys from that farm system. Now imagine a lot of those guys don't, you know, get to lose their jobs. It's fucking crazy. I know I just kind of went off on a tangent from the, the real the real part of the story about the safety of it. But just in general, Major League Baseball is doing is not doing a great job and they're having and they're they're looking bad. They look bad right now. I'm not gonna lie to you. They look they look terrible. To stake with more Major League Baseball news Alex Bregman third baseman for the Houston Astros one of the best players in the league he's leaving Clutch Sports Clutch Sports is run by LeBron James Maverick Carter and a bunch of other guys but he's leaving them for the reason being that LeBron James wants to make a documentary based on the Houston Astros sign stealing scandal we're going to talk more about LeBron James and documentaries and films and stuff um, later down down the, sh- the show here but the fact is, is that, look, do they have a lot of clients? Sure. Is Bregman probably one of their biggest? Yeah. But Bregman's, look, I understand why he left. Pissed off, right? Totally, totally fine. But for LeBron's sake, it's like I can make a dope documentary or I can have a one of the best players in the game on my, you know, part of my team here. And I look, maybe LeBron was pissed off about what what he did, just like a lot of other athletes and a lot of baseball players and fans. Um, I'd rather do the documentary. Fuck Bregman, dude. I mean, you, you fucking, you cheated big time and you lied about it big time. So I um, I understand why he's doing it. And I also... Don't give a fuck because Alex Bregman's a dick. He cheated big time, like really, really big. What steroids? No, but you 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 cheated the entire like season, and you guys won the World Series because you guys cheated. So it's it's um it's pretty weird. I don't know. Um, other news: not a lot of baseball news going on. Major news was the MLB and PA and MLB. Uh, you know their tensions are kind of getting high. But I found some other news. Mike Trout, rookie card, was sold for a record-breaking $900,000 at auction. It's a lot of fucking money. 
I know Roger Hornsby's, I think, was sold for like over a million. And uh, I know Babe Ruth cards are sold over, over, I think, around a million dollars. But I'm sure for a rookie card, this it has to be, I mean, they're saying record-breaking, 900K. That's just a rookie card. Now, imagine when Trout retires in 10 years. Now, think of it this way. I've, I've been thinking about this for, you know, not just, you know, Mike Trout and baseball players, but I'm thinking about all sports. Imagine if so-and-so player missed a year of, of their career and they were like a borderline Hall of Famer to begin with. Imagine like this one year kept them from being a Hall of Famer. Like, look, Mike Trout's going to be a Hall of Famer no matter what. But this is another year. Like, he missed out on 40 home runs this year. If they get back to playing baseball, they're going to play 82 games and he hits, I don't know, 25 home runs. 30 home runs, maybe not, not 30 in 82 games. I mean, we've seen, we've seen that before, but look, imagine 25 and 50, he gets 25 and 60 in 82 games. That's like, that's a lot of fucking RBIs, whatever. You know, the point he's missing out on a lot of runs, a lot, a lot of RBIs, a lot of home runs, batting average, a lot of stats that could boost his career up. Why was he ends with 600 home runs and he misses out like, you know, where he gets like he's like close in the top five, but he missed out on forty home runs, thirty five home runs in a season. Sucks. I'm a, I'm a huge stat guy, so I kind of look at that stuff that way. But look, it, it it's a it's a big bummer. And the funniest thing that I saw in the baseball news this past week was revealed today. Aaron Judge's girlfriend was arrested in February for a DUI, right? And the video was released today via TMZ Sports. I tweeted it on my my, my uh, main page. I'll probably make a video of it probably the next couple days. Yikes, man. Yikes. Big time yikes for Aaron Judge. I don't know if they're still dating or not. But, like, dude, you just, your girlfriend said in the video... Do you know who my boyfriend is? It's like the those those like rich preppy white kids getting kicked out of the bar and the bouncers like yelling at him, telling them to get out, and they said, My dad's a lawyer. Do you know who my dad is? It's exactly that way. We're we're potentially seeing like a like a like a Karen in the making here. Do you know who my boyfriend is? If you see the whole video, she talks about it in the car and she's like, the New York media is gonna blow up. It's gonna bad look on me and him. And the officer's like, who is it? <laughs> and he, she says, Aaron Judge. And then you just hear silence for the next, like, 10 seconds. Because he, of course, he knows. But the, she was in Arizona when this was going on in February. And the officer said, and she said, I think she said, well, this, well, I can't have this, you know, show anybody or whatever. And then this can't be shown to anybody. I can't, this can't get out. And he's like, yeah, no one's going to see this. Uh... TMZ will find a way. TMZ Sports, TMZ will find a way to to have this released without a doubt. Do you know who my boyfriend is? Not a good look, Aaron Judge. Not a good look. Personally, me, if I saw this happen, my girlfriend said that, made a fool of herself, and I'm involved in it, I probably broke out with her. That's just me. But look, I don't know if they're still dating or not, but not a good look for Aaron Judge. And his girlfriend. Big time yikes. Here's a big time yikes. Dak Prescott. Back in the news. Man's been wanting a big contract for quite some time now. 
But there's a rumor going around that it was actually confirmed that it was false. I don't know how true this this confirmation is. But look, the story is that Dak turned down a five-year deal worth $175 million from the Cowboys, according to, Crim's, according to former quarterback Chris Sims of Bleacher Report. It would have made him the highest paid quarterback in NFL history. Prescott instead is seeking north of $45 million in his final season of his new deal, reportedly. Now, according to the team, the team side and Dak Prescott's agent, the report from Chris Sims is definitely not true. The two sides have never discussed such scenarios or anything like it. Dak wants a shorter deal and the Cowboys want a longer one. July 15th is the deadline. July 15th is coming up quick, Dak. Now let's just, for a hypothetical um, you know, scenario here. If this is true, he turned down five years, $175 million. We don't know how much of it's guaranteed. But besides that, if it's $175 million, I would say, I don't know, 110 is guaranteed. 100 of it is guaranteed. That's incredible. If that is true, that he turned it down, so stupid. I understand you want to make a lot of money per year, right? He'd make, he'd make a ton per year. He would make a ton. Let's let's do the math here. So if it's 175 million divided by five, he'd make 35 million a year. I know that was simple math, but I don't want to fuck it up on the podcast, right? So he would make 35 a year. That's just if it's 100% guaranteed, but it's not. That's incredible, dude. In fucking credible that he potentially turned it down. Now, if this is not true, then okay. The fact of the matter is that he still wants his $45 million deal to end his contract for his final season. Look, I get it. he wants a lot of money in, in one year, but why wouldn't you get the security of a five year deal with $100 million? NFL man, one one big hit, you're done. Look at Alex Smith. He's trying to get his career back. He hasn't played in like two years. Done, dude. See ya. Break your leg. Goodbye. Luck, dude. If it was me, I'd take the five-year deal worth $175 million if this was the actual deal he was offered. Doesn't say... The Cowboys and his agent say there's no way in hell this ever was even in conversation for a deal like this. But look, I love to play hypotheticals sometimes on this podcast, so we're doing it. Personally, me, i do it. Dak is an idiot, and he thinks he's worth $45 fucking million dollars a year. You're an absolute moron. You had the best year of your career. Now, what do you, how many years did you have you played in the NFL? I'm going to say, I don't know, fucking five, six, Dak Prescott. How many years have you played, son? Let's see, let's see, let's see. 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. You played five years, my friend, five years in the NFL. I don't think you are... Um, let's just say, worth $45 million because this is the first real, really good year for you. It's just, the, it's just the fucking truth. It's the truth. You're not, you're not worth it. Excuse me, four years. I'm an idiot. Four years. 
You haven't done anything special in the playoffs. Your team is consistently a 500 or two wins above 500 ball club. You either make the playoffs, get knocked on the first round, or you don't make it at all. Last year, you guys had the best talent offensively, maybe in the league, maybe with the Chiefs. You have Cooper, Amari Cooper, Zeke, and yourself. And you have an old-ass Jason Witten. You have Michael Gallup, good receiver. And guess what? Now you got CeeDee Lamb. So there's absolutely zero excuse for you for next season. Zero. You're not worth $45 million. You can make the you can make twenty, maybe. You had a very good year. I'm not gonna you were second in the league in passing, thirty touchdowns. You know, passer rating was fucking really, really good. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give I'm not gonna you know, you almost passed five thousand yards. I understand press press. I'm gonna call you press. But this is this is bullshit. Just fucking if they offer you a nice chunk of change with a long term deal, do it. I don't know why you want to short your deal. It doesn't make any fucking sense. All right, the NFL tables a, the Rooney Rule change. Owners vote to table a resolution to incentivize the hiring of minority coaches and general managers. Um, Ex-Bengals head coach Marvin Lewis is pissed with the proposal of the draft picks incentives for minority rules, minority hires. Um, he says it was like having the Jim Crow laws. Whoa, it's a statement. The whole thing around this is that they're not hiring enough minority owners, minority um, head coaches, coaches in general, or general managers. I totally agree. There is a, there is a definite, um, it's definitely out there. It's definitely noticeable that there's not a lot of coaches. I mean, Anthony Lynn, right? I'm, I got to look this up. Mike Tomlin, how many minority coaches are in the league? How many minority NFL coaches. Let's see. With the dismissal, the NFL has only three head coaches in the league. Mike Tom, minority coaches. Yeah, this is, I was right. I was almost right. I forgot Ron, Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera, Anthony Lynn, and Mike Tomlin. Three head coaches that are part of the minority uh, you know, side of it. It's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And this, this thing, they're kind of tabling this thing. This minority rule changes. It look, these owners are look, kind of looking a little racist here. They're kind of push this thing back, redo the offer here. It does not look good. The ruling rule is that every year there should be in the if a coach is if there's a new coaching hire like a coach if a team's going to be hiring a coach they need to do this. It's part of it. Steelers did the Steelers were the ones who started this thing. It's it's a great thing because there is a definitely segregation to that. A lot of Teams are, are unfortunately doing this the wrong way. So there needs to be a change. The last NFL news, and, the, and this is the last part of our part one of the podcast. Uh, LeBron James was said to, at one point during the NFL lock, uh, NBA lockout, potential NBA lockout, that he was planning on playing football. And um, LeBron discussed in an interview with his business partner, Maverick Carter, that if there was going to be a lockout in the NBA season, during the NBA season, LeBron would have been an NFL player. He says, and so is Maverick, saying that there was he still has a contract framed in his office by Jerry Jones 
ready to sign, sealed, delivered, become a cowboy. LeBron's a huge fan of the Cowboys. And he said he was changing his workouts. Uh, LeBron's 6'9". I can't imagine you covering a 6'9 receiver like that. I mean, it's like covering Calvin Johnson. And he's 6'9", like 260, and he's just a fucking all-muscle. 6'9", 6'10", whatever he is. He wanted to be wide receiver. I can definitely see him more of as a tight end. But LeBron's very fast, too. Could it happen? Could it have happened? I would love to see it. It would be pretty cool. Be his version of Michael Jordan playing baseball. It's just to see if LeBron can take a hit. That's the thing. Everyone can, a lot of these athletes, they can put some pads on and go run some routes and catch the ball. Can you take a hit? Like, imagine if LeBron was playing when like Ray Lewis was around, or you know, Charles Woodson, or Ed Reed, or Cam Chancellor. Like, imagine that. I don't, I don't see that as a. Um, I don't see LeBron getting up after a hit like that. No shot. After the times he flops all the time in the NBA. So I don't, I don't think that could be a... Um, it's a nice dream. Maybe he could do it. I don't know. I personally think it'd be pretty, uh pretty wild stretch. It's a stretch. Because can you take the hit and get back up? He was changing his workouts and doing different things. Kind of bulking up, whatever. So it's, it's a cool thing to think about. And it's something that's awesome to think about like right now with what's going on and without sports. It's awesome thinking about that because we have nothing else to fucking talk about. Um, let's take a quick break, and we'll, when we come back, we'll start off with talking about the unfortunate death of Hall of Fame head coach Jerry Sloan, who passed away at the age of 78. We'll talk about that and more when we come back. Jerry Sloan passed away today at age 78 from complications of Parkinson's disease and Lewy body dementia. Really rough way to go. Um, but let's talk about the good things about Jerry Sloan. Jerry Sloan was inducted into the 2009 Hall of Fame class as a Utah Jazz head coach. He coached for 23 seasons from 1988 to 2011. He has the third most wins in NBA history, over 1,200 wins the sixth best winning percentage of all time. And he um, also guided to, to the, the Jazz 16, make that 16 consecutive winning seasons in 13 50-win seasons. He has 20 trips to the NBA playoffs with Utah from 1989 to 2003 and then back from 2007 to 2010. And his, eight, his 98 playoff wins are the sixth most in NBA history, seven division titles, Two NBA Finals appearances in 97-98. We saw about both those series when the Bulls beat them in back-to-back -back years. And as a veteran player of the NBA, um, he was a, <coughs> a player and also we were talking about the coach. 
uh, for more than 45 years prior to joining the Jazz. Sloan coached the Chicago Bulls for three seasons, and he was also a two-time NBA All-Star as a player in 1967 and 69, over 11 NBA seasons with the Chicago Bulls, uh, with Chicago and Baltimore in 1965 and 76. Sloan became the first player in Bulls history to have his number retired when the franchise retired his number four jersey on February 17th, 1978. This is from all from NBA.com's press release. It's a tough thing. Jerry Sloan was one of the best. He coached unbelievable players throughout his time. From, you know, my day, my, my modern day of Utah Jazz, the one guy I think of is Darren Williams. Darren Williams, an unbelievable player with the Utah Jazz and that young Jazz team. But, of course, he coached Carl Malone and, and um, John Stockton. To one of the best players of all time, part of the, um, that 97-98 run that they had where they were the best, they were compared to being the, t- the best duo in the NBA with the Pippen and Jordan duo they had. But it's unfortunate. Pippen, uh, I'm sorry, um, Jerry Sloan was also a very well-respected, very well-respected guy, um, coach, and also advisor as well. He really advised the Utah Jazz throughout his time as and in Utah, for some sometimes they were not as great, but he made it work. And to say that he had thirteen of his twenty-three years in Utah were fifty-win seasons. It's incredible. Sixteen consecutive winning seasons, twenty trips to the playoffs. It's a lot. It's a long time. Look, his first trip to playoffs was in nineteen eighty-nine. He started coaching in nineteen eighty-eight. That's insane. And unfortunately, he didn't get the 100 playoff wins, but 98 is good enough for me. It's unfortunate, but we had to, to recognize his greatness. It's one of the best coaches of all time. Um, but let's go into more basketball news. The Nets are eyeing a trade with Brandon Beal in the Washington Wizards. I can say this now. I don't know if I've mentioned it before. Maybe when we did like the our favorite jerseys, I guess, or like favorite players, or what jerseys we own, whatever, back in the day. Maybe, I don't even remember when we did something like that. But I'm going to have to say that Brandon Beal, one of my favorite players in the NBA. I have his jersey. I think I've won it three times. I don't know why I have it. I think that in college, when everyone buys their a basketball jersey to go to a party in, or baseball jersey, we all did a huge order, and I ordered uh, I one of the one of the jerseys I ordered was a Brandon uh, Bradley Beal jersey. BB, one of the best, one of the best players in the game, one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA, and I think he is the most underrated player in the NBA. Not a lot of love gives to Brandon Beal. That team is horrible in Washington. John Wall hasn't played in, in almost two years because of his uh, his injuries. But I gotta say, if the Nets are really eyeing Bradley Beal, what in the world are they gonna give up? And also, it's a lot of money that he has. He has a max contract. It's a lot of fucking money. How are the Nets going to take that while they have Kyrie's money and also Kevin Durant's money? So the, the thing is, is, the Nets had initial uh, had a, had some initial internal decision making about a proposal, a, a a trade for the Wizards star. It's all like this weird rumor that that was started. But if I'm a Nets fan, fuck, I want him. That's a big three you got there. That's a nice, solid big three. I would have to say you're going to have to trade maybe like a DeAndre Jordan contract, which I don't even know how much that is. 
like I would I would say a Spencer Dinwiddie would be in the mix. Draft picks would be in the mix if this would happen. But that is a amazing big three for next season. KD, Kyrie, and Bradley Beal. Holy moly, man! That would be a juggernaut in Brooklyn. That would absolutely compete in the East with the with the Raptors with the, with a bunch of teams um, in the Eastern Conference, but. I don't know why that my initial thought was the the Raptors. I mean, like the Celtics are fucking unbelievable too. Um, but I would have to say that I don't think this trade could actually happen. Brad, Bradley Beal's got a lot of money on the table, and I don't know how much money the Nets would be taking from that deal. But I I would love it as a basketball fan, and if I was a Nets fan, I would absolutely love it. But I realistically, I don't see that happening. Uh, if you saw the uh, Michael Jordan documentaries, what they're calling it, not the Last Dance anymore. In general, a lot of people are a lot of the people involved, the players that were involved with this documentary. They're not happy. It's like it's they're calling it the Michael Jordan documentary because it really it it there it was they thought it was supposed to be just based around the ninety eight season, ninety seven ninety eight Bulls team. But realistically, it's the Michael Jordan documentary. Let's just face the fact it was around Michael Jordan and Michael. If there was no Michael Jordan, the documentary would be one episode, maybe two, maybe. So, but the point of this topic is that Horace Grant is ripping Jordan because of the fact that sources say that, you know, when, not even sources. So, like, do you guys remember in the documentary that the Jordan Rules book came out during the, and, and during the, do, the documentary, it came out during the time when um, the Bulls were facing off the Pistons a bunch of times and, Horace Grant calls out MJ for saying that MJ and a lot of other players said that Horace Grant was the, the snitch that gave Sam Smith, the author of the Jordan Rules book, all the information about in-the-locker-room feuds, who likes who, who hates who, whatever. And a lot of people think it's Horace Grant. Now, I think Will Purdue said it best is that it, it seemed like Horace Grant didn't get the love that he deserved. It was all Michael and Scottie Pippen. Now is it. When it, when it comes to the players. And it felt like Horace Grant was like the odd man out. He wasn't getting enough credit like credit that he deserves. I think it was Horace that, that snitched. He says it wasn't. He's pissed that Michael even said it and other players said it. But let's face the facts. It makes sense. I don't know if Jerry Krause would actually do that because he's dumb enough to actually ruin the franchise. I don't know if he's going to add to the dumb list. Of him snitching and telling Sam Smith about it, there was a there was a lot of talk that in the documentary that Horace Grant and Sam Smith had a very good relationship, like the best relationship out of all the players. And Sam Smith kind of denied it as well, and sort of denied it, sort of didn't talk. Said like, "Oh, our relationship was great." So it kind of seems like that they were like boys, you know. So it's weird. I don't know. Um, Paul Pierce still thinks LeBron James isn't a top five player. Jesus, LeBron now, and when LeBron's dead, he still beat you, Paul Pierce. It's unbelievable. He doesn't have him as top five. And I know this is a a very boring topic to have, and I'm going to end this in about two minutes. It's just something that caught my eye. Because all these top ten lists, top five lists, it gets people going because we have nothing to talk about. Now this is gonna we're gonna talk about the top five, top ten list with LeBron until he's done, and maybe even after he's done. 
but personally for me, it's kind of those topics where it's like enough's enough. Like who's better, LeBron or Michael? You know, it's it's one of those topics. But the fact that Paul Pierce, I don't know if he's doing this because he needs something to talk about. Maybe it is, but I think he's been saying this for years that he doesn't think LeBron's a top five player. He's a top two, top three. He's a top three. It's it's a battle for second. Michael's number one. The battle for second is either Kobe or LeBron. I'd probably put Kobe in line for that at two and LeBron at three. But LeBron's 1,000% a top five player. All right, so that's done. We're done with that. Last topic, more LeBron James stuff. This is the third time I want to say we're talking about LeBron. So LeBron James is now producing a Netflix film with Adam Sandler. They're teaming up to make a basketball-themed movie, movie called Hustle. I have no idea what it's about. Nobody really knows what it's about. Um, I can't find a lot of information about it. All I found out was an article um, talking about that they're doing this. So this is James and business partner Maverick Carter will produce the film um, with their company, Spring Hill Entertainment. Uh, Adam Sandler will star as a former basketball scout. Oh, okay, here we go. I didn't read the whole article. Uh, Sandler will star as a former basketball scout who is fired after finding a once-in-a-lifetime player abroad. Um, pers- so this is, uh, okay. He will then attempt to bring the be- the player to America in hopes of returning to the NBA. Hustle is far from James' uh, first four. Yeah, so, so this is actually... The, this isn't the first time that he's been involved in a movie. This is, of course, he's in Space Jam, and then he was also in as a small little cameo spot in Trainwrecked. That was a Jedi Avatar movie with Bill Hader. And um, I think, what's her name? Uh, Amy Schumer. That's actually a funny movie. But look, LeBron's getting, he, he is looking towards his post-career, right? He's getting really involved. He does a lot of charitable work with the school he's running. LeBron's getting into... He has the agency. He has the HBO show. Um, I think... I don't even know what it's called. Barbershop or something. I don't know. The Shop. It's called The Shop, right? The Shop. He has that, which I would do watch. I actually find that really, really entertaining. I do want more baseball players on there because I think there has been a total of zero. Um, Other than that, he's also... Trying to get this documentary out about the Houston Astros science stealing scandal. That's one. It, well, I'm about to talk about documentaries in a second. That's one I really want to see. Um, also, these he's in movies. He's trying to get movies out. Look, he is a great businessman. He has awesome people around him. So I think this is a perfect thing for him to do. And I think a relationship like LeBron and Adam Sandler to make a movie together would be perfect because Sandler is a gigantic, a gigantic basketball fan, and he can he he can hoop pretty well too. We all we all seen the videos of him hooping in his movies, and also the videos we've seen over the last year and a half of just him playing up pickup games at LA Fitness or at a park or whatever. So uh, yeah, definitely a good sight to see that a basketball movie is coming out with them. Last part, we're talking documentaries. The Last Dance is probably going to be the best sports documentary ever, maybe. I mean, the Icarus documentary about the the doping scandal with the, the the Russian Olympians, I think, is is one of my favorites. But we just watched 
one of the best sports documentaries ever in the last dance. I did five bonus podcasts. If you haven't listened to it yet, you can go listen to it right now. They're on YouTube. They're on my YouTube page, Taylor Ringgold YouTube page, and they're also on the podcast. Um, you can go, if you're not subscribed, subscribe now, and you can see all the podcasts we've done previously and also the last dance. But anyway, the thing is, is that what in the world is going to compete next with the last dance? It's going to be very hard. But towards the last two episodes that were aired on ESPN, ESPN was teasing the next three documentary series that are coming out on ESPN's 30 for 30 series. We have three called, we have one called Lance, one called Be Water, another one called Long Gone Summer. So the first one, Lance, it's coming out May 24th, which is in two fucking days. I'm so excited to the two-part series. And it's featuring Lance Armstrong. Duh. The name is in the title. Lance. So there are a lot of raw interviews and personal perspectives on his full story. The uh, the rise and fall of his dramatic career. Talking about overcoming cancer, being the best cyclist on the planet. He was the face of cancer. Like the face of of actually going through the process and beating cancer. Testicular cancer. And also, he became the face of doping. It's gonna be. I saw there. I saw a short clip of what, um, who else is involved. It's a lot of. I think it's that whole Lance Armstrong team is involved. Other cyclists that are involved that were. I think the whole team was doping. So, I think. I think everybody was a fan of Lance Armstrong in his prime. I had Livestrong bracelets. I wore them all throughout middle school. You kidding me? And as soon as I heard that he started doping. And that company went to the shitter. I stopped wearing them. It's a big... I remember he went on Oprah. Now he's doing this documentary series. He has his own podcast. I know that. But I wonder if this is going to be like the last time we're ever going to hear Lance Armstrong talk about this. Because I feel like this should be it. I mean, he's had a lot of years of just staying out of the spotlight. Getting his ass torn apart by the media. Being on fucking Oprah of all places, you know? I think it's time. I mean, there's he's going to be doing press about this for the next... Um, actually, I don't even. I don't think he even. I haven't seen any press because this is coming out in two days. Um, but that's that's part one, and then part one will be on May twenty fourth, and then the following Sunday on May thirty first will be part two. The next documentary coming out on June seventh, which is a Sunday, is called Be Water. Be Water is a personal depiction and talk about the life and. Of Bruce Lee. You know, talking about how he was a trailblazer in pop culture and how he kind of, um, his life and just how he was motivated to do things, motivated to be great, and just how he lived his life. And uh, I think Bruce Lee is one of the more popular icons of the 21st century, the 20th century, I think, 21st century. So it's like, Let's just say he's the most popular icon in a long time. Him, Muhammad Ali, Hank Aaron, just to name a few, Jackie Robinson, just people that are just famous sports icons. Lance Armstrong was at one point a very famous icon. Now it's negatively. But B Water is going to be fucking amazing. It's going to be so sick. Um, I, I think a lot of people are going to find this one maybe the most enjoyable to watch. Because of how he lived his life and what have you. 
And the one I'm looking forward to personally the most is this next one called Long Gone Summer. On June 14th, Long Gone Summer will be out. It's, a, it's going to be chronicling the, the Mark McGuire Sammy Sosa story um, about the 1998 home run battle between both of them. And, of course, it's going to be following the, the 1994 MLB strike as well. It's the first time both men discussed the summer at length, including the lasting legacy and the undeniable complications behind their careers, knowing that they uh, lied on their oath and they also took steroids. Big yikes. Fun fact here. We've said, I've said many times on this podcast, my favorite player of all time was Alex Rodriguez. It is still Alex Rodriguez. The guy who also took steroids. But I have to say, the very first baseball player that I fell in love with, it was my, I was the, my first favorite was Mark McGuire. There's a picture in my house here that is a picture of me as a, as a very young kid. I had to be like four years old, five years old. Me, I got to ask my parents. But it's me in a batting practice Cardinals jersey. You can see the holes in the shirt, the netting and stuff. But it was Mark McGuire batting practice jersey. It was my favorite. My parents used to tell me I used to wear it all the time. I wanted to wear it all the time. But he was my favorite. Mark McGuire, one of the... I mean, if you watched him, his rookie career, he was his rookie year was freaking ridiculous. He mashed. And he kept mashing. And then let's not forget about Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa was pretty interesting because the first, like, five years of his career, maybe more, six, were not great. Or was really not good. He was a guy that was, you know, not really, he wasn't a starting player. He started off with Texas, then he went to Chicago, and then for the first couple of years with Chicago, was not really the amazing player. And then he did two things. He changed his batting stance. He, he put the toe tap in, and then also he took steroids. You put those two, th- two things together, you get, I think, three years of 60 home runs or more, four years, whatever he did. But the unfortunate thing is those guys will never be in the Hall of Fame, and they should be. But the steroids are definitely a, a, a thing that's fucking them up pretty bad. But that's the one I'm looking forward to the most. That will be on June 14th of this year. And those are the, the three that are coming out in the next month. It's it's awesome. We need this as sports fans. We need these awesome documentaries, but it's gonna be very hard to live up to the last dance. But I think there's another, I think there's gonna be one that's gonna live up to it, and it's gonna come out next year. Just announced, I think it was yesterday, that a nine part series that will be airing on ESPN in 2021 called Man in the Arena. Tom Brady. It's all about Tom Brady's career. Wow. Now, I remember thinking the other day, after I stopped recording the, the final Last Dance podcast, I was like, who's another player or athlete that needs to have their own giant nine, ten-part series? I would definitely say Tom Brady was the guy on my list. It's going to be great. We're going to see the good, the bad, even the ugly. Of his career, winning all the championships, getting drafted, nobody thinking he'd be the guy. Um, we're gonna look. I look back at probably his young career, like as a high school player, pee wee football. We're gonna see the Deflate Gate era, and then him going to to, um, to the Buccaneers. Now I'm wondering, personally, me, I feel like they should wait 
even further until his career is over. I would say wait even longer until he becomes a Hall of Famer. Once he becomes a Hall of Famer, then like, then you can stop it, and then you can then you can finish the documentary. He still has two more years left in his career with the Buccaneers, and then who knows? He might sign another deal after that, or might call it quits after that. Personally, I think they should wait. But in general, this documentary is going to be unbelievable to watch. Unbelievable. For Patriot fans, NFL fans, or sports fans in general, it's going to be great. But I thought about another documentary that should be made. Yeah, I think we should have a Tony Hawk documentary. I don't think a lot of people know. I like skating a lot. I can't skate. I liked watching skating. I like watching skate videos. Um, the reason is because I fell in love with Tony Hawk Pro Skater 4 and the other Pro Skaters video games. I fell in love with it. Um, I think at one point I had Tony Hawk Pro Skaters 1 through 4. Can't find 1 and 2 anymore. I know where, I know I have 3 and 4. I played 4 maybe like 6 months ago just to relive it again. And then I want to say that I have the Undergrounds. And I know Tony Hawk's coming out with a new game. He's coming out with a new Tony Hawk Pro Skater remastered. Uh, you know, games one and two for PS4, and I think Xbox as well. But I think people need to understand who Tony Hawk is and his like upbringing and how he started and took skating, which was kind of casual, to a brand where no one I think ever thought skating would be. And then all, and I like to, I'd love to see that because I watched, I watched the interview. I've watched many interviews with Tony Hawk, you know, and I just watched recently on Joe Rogan's podcast. I didn't even talk about Rogan. We should talk about that right at the end. Um, and um, it was he was on for about an hour and forty minutes. Talked about his career and his upbringing and who he was. And he every podcast that he's been on, it was part of my take Rogan or other, you know, podcasts or shows. He is so humble and such a nice guy. People don't understand and don't know who, and don't really know that. I don't. I don't think a lot of people know that. But I'd love to have that and have. The, the the other skaters, the famous ones like the Paul Rodriguez, the Nigel Houston's, the Chad Musts, um, you know, oh the Ronnie Mullins. I, I think they we, we need to have all that together. I mean, as you can see, I'm kind of a big skate fan, but I cannot skate at all. I can't go on a skateboard without falling immediately. So it's funny how I'm a huge fan of it, but also can't do any of it. Um, and also, let's just talk to round it out. Joe Rogan. Whoa. What a move. He's leaving... But he's been on YouTube and just kind of posting it everywhere. But he's now going to be going full-time in September. He's going to be going right now, um, podcast-wise, to Spotify. But then full-time with some sort of video aspect to it, um, to Spotify. It's potentially, a, I know it's a multi-year deal. I've heard rumors that it's $100 million a year. Um, I listen to Fire to Kid podcast with Brian Cowan and Brendan Schaub. And Schaub and Cowan are best friends with, um, with Rogan. And, you know, him, those two and Eddie Bravo, the fight companion, whatever. Um, but I know on Fire the Kid, they talked about last episode that they said that they know what the money is. They know how much it is. We're never going to find out. You know, eventually, I feel like they fall through the cracks. But this is, he is the new Howard Stern. This is the new Howard Stern deal. You know, Stern left basic radio to go to Sirius and to satellite radio. And that deal was a five-year deal with $500 million. And he got equity in Sirius. I don't think he, um, Rogan's going to get equity in Spotify, but Rogan's going to get at least $100 million a year. It's a multi-year deal. And he's not really changing anything. He's not changing his show platform. He's not changing his layout of the show. 
But who's fucking up big time is Apple. Apple is, is kind of having, this hurts Apple's big time and YouTube big time. I don't know how they let this thing just slide through the cracks. Don't know how it happened, but Spotify has killed it in the last six to eight months. Maybe six months to a year with a bunch of podcasts that they grabbed. And they also include, they got the ringer. But Rogan is a huge deal for podcasting everywhere. Showing that you don't get paid big bucks, you can't. But no one else is, no, nobody's Rogan. The only people to actually get to that level of stardom and get that level of money, I would say, is pardon my take and call her daddy. But call her daddy is kind of the thing of the past right now. I don't really feel like talking call her daddy and talking about it because I've all been hearing all all this week it's fucking call her daddy this, call her daddy that, whatever. But um, yeah, congrats to Rogan. And that's our podcast. Episode 99. As you can, as you guys have now finished the podcast, we'd have a guest this week. Yeah, it was tough. I, I think it was seven episodes in a row, seven weeks in a row with the guest. If you guys don't understand, it's kind of hard to book a guest. It's kind of tough. I've sent emails all week long. I've sent about, I don't know, 25 emails in the last week since since uh, Monday, I want to say. So it's tough. A lot of people are working. Some people don't read their emails all the time. Some people do. I do where you get no's and yeses, whatever. So it's definitely tough. But um, yeah, well, I'm trying to. I'm going to really try my best to get guests for episode 100. I'm really going to try. Episode 100 would be fucking awesome. I'm going to try getting the guys back. As you can see, it's been me by myself. Or Austin's been on a couple times in the last couple months, but um, you know, everyone's doing their own stuff nowadays. But um, or they're and they're you know, shout out to Nurse Bill, he's working. But it'd be nice to get everybody back for episode 100. So I'll try doing that. I'll try getting guests. Can't promise anything, but um, hopefully you guys enjoyed. If you're not subscribed, subscribe now on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you listen to this podcast or listen to podcasts in general. Go on YouTube, on the End of the Bench YouTube page, and my YouTube page for content, which is Taylor Ringgold. Just type that on YouTube, and also End of the Bench, type it on YouTube. Follow the End of the Bench on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Instagram is Taylor underscore Ringgold, and on Twitter, it's just at Taylor Ringgold. And, yeah, yeah, follow content. We are putting content out every week. I'm going to start putting more content out every day. Um, I don't put enough content out. I'll say that's the truth, but I'm going to put out more content so you guys can see what I'm doing, see what the podcast is doing, and just to kind of get the podcast better, you know? We, we've come a long way as the podcast, coming from really putting out zero content besides the freaking podcast to putting out, doing these interviews and putting out other content, other videos and audio videos, whatever you want to call those, audiograms, something you want to call them. Um, we're trying our best here. So, um, yep. Yeah. My name is Taylor Ringle. This is episode 99 of End of the Bench. Catch you guys next week for episode 100. Hopefully. Catch you guys Sending all her friends, snaps, I know what
tracks Cause all these hoes know what's about to come next I hit my plug up, got the paper connect I drop a couple bands, I just wanna go Man, I just wanna go flex 